Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How do you do? And Earthlings, too. Yes, Earthlings and near-Earthlings. All the aliens that are out there, you know, who are saying hello. And humans who are near Earth, but in our orbit. Mm -hmm. We'd like to include you, too. The, Please feel uh, free. The topics tonight are going to vary a little bit, and but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, anniversary uh, coming up of uh, in July of this year, the uh, 75th anniversary of the Roswell crash. And I think that um, it's going to bring a little uh, attention. You know, maybe the film will be uh, released that uh, brought a lot of uh, curiosity to people when the, the Close Encounters movie came out. And we also have a piece on, a, on an interview that was done by uh, Steven Spielberg. And uh, it was uh, done on the 30th anniversary of the film's release. Yeah. and uh, But the film, the first film you're referencing is... Really, a picture, right? Like a microfilm, I guess, maybe of the MJ12 document. No? What about that film? Oh, that <laughs> film? Well, that film uh, was a. Uh, uh, you were a, talking to me about it earlier. I guess we weren't live yet. Oh, that was the leaked, <laughs> the leaked document. The, uh, yes. That was the roll of film that came in the uh, canister that was put into the uh, post office box uh, and. Uh, I believe it was uh, New Mexico or Albuquerque, uh, somewhere in that area. But uh, the consequences of the uh, Majestic 12 document and the curiosity of uh, famous people like Spielberg, which uh, up until recently I wasn't aware of how uh, interested he was in the subject. And when I listened to this interview that uh, he did, uh, my partner, came across this uh, on YouTube. I highly recommend other people to uh, tap into it and listen to the entire thing. We're going to just try to let you listen to uh, sections of it because it's a, it's a little, a uh, little long. It has a, yeah, has, yeah, a, has a long section, but uh, we're going to uh, give you pieces that uh, are interesting to hear. And uh, it, it includes the uh, particular discussion of uh the man who was the consultant to the film, and his name is Dr. J. Allen Hynek, very special individual in the uh, UFO community. And uh, most of you know that he was the uh, Project Blue Book uh, consultant for the United States Air Force. And uh, he was also known to uh, Spielberg, so I guess he must have contacted uh, the... Uh, or, or, or he was contacted by Spielberg, I believe. Yeah, either way, they got together. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, they we'll never know, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he meant, well, Spielberg mentions in the interview mm -hmm. that they, they were, like, sort of friends. And uh, that, that could be that they, uh, you know, just spoke. But yeah. uh, the the interesting thing about the interview on this uh, this film is all the trouble he had in trying to convince the uh, Columbia Pictures to use the title... <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third yeah. Kind, because they they didn't know what it meant, and uh, uh, Heineck had to explain what the title meant. And uh, yeah, and it, just his whole motivation behind the movie too is what we're starting off with a, a little bit of uh, some. Well, you got to hear it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, so we're going to let you hear it now, and then we'll jump back out and uh, and let you hear more. This is um, from First and Last Look channel on YouTube. Mr. Spielberg himself. 
I had been doing writing on Close Encounters before Jaws. So Jaws actually came after I began working on some kind of a conceptual narrative on how to tell a story about UFOs and Watergate and kind of putting that together. Certainly before Watergate, my whole concept was the UFO phenomenon in contemporary America. Then after Watergate, it was, of course, it's going to be a government conspiracy and the UFO phenomenon wrapped into one. What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? This was ongoing. This was, you know, through the Jaws process and then through post-production on Jaws. It was just a movie I was going to make next. I didn't know if I could get it financed because people were balking at financing it before Jaws. But I had two producers. I had Julia Phillips and Michael Phillips, who were very strong producers. They had produced Taxi Driver and they had produced The, uh, the Sting. They were very supportive of me and pretty much said to me, don't worry, we're going to get the financing for this. Uh, just figure it out. For one thing, I didn't believe it was science fiction. I didn't coin this, but I, I was liberally saying, this isn't science fiction, this is science speculation. Because I had a real deep-rooted belief that we had been visited. And in this century, I was a real sort of UFO devotee in the 1970s and was really into the whole UFO phenomenon from everything I was reading. So it was something for me that was science. This is a flying saucer. That's Isn't that interesting, huh? Spielberg's uh, personal opinion of the, the, the internal mechanisms of putting this movie together, uh, quite a, quite a uh, operation. You know, the, the making of a film is, is little known to the outside world because, you know, the, they don't realize all the ins and outs of the, the, the parts that go into it. But when you, when you hear Spielberg, who's, uh, who's the CEO of the, uh, <laughs> of the operation, and you hear his descriptions of uh, the trouble he went into and, and then the, uh, the progress that was, uh, was going along uh, as the film was being made and, and the different things that he incurred, it was, it was quite interesting, and uh, we'll let you hear some more about it. But, and, uh, and I love what he said about um, it's not – I didn't see it as science fiction. I saw it as science speculation. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what, what you're sitting here doing all the time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really like that. So we're going to let you listen to a, another section in there. And then you're going to comment on it. And I'm going to yeah. comment on it. Any day now. <laughs> I got it. Here we go. The matter and eventually meeting my breakthrough partner. When I say breakthrough partner, he didn't write the screenplay with me, but he inspired the title. And that's J. Allen Hynek, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was the Project Blue Book debunker working for the military as a civilian consultant, going around and looking at all these UFO stories and finding astronomical, natural, logical explanations for what people were perceiving to be extraordinary or extraterrestrial. And he was bringing everything down to a terrestrial level until finally he just couldn't explain about 10% of the sightings. And the 10% of the sightings he couldn't explain were so compelling. The witnesses themselves were so compelling that he eventually resigned his position to pursue an investigation and a lot of writing on the entire UFO phenomenon. And I called him up and I had read his book and he's the one that shared his title with me, which is why I called the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And the Close Encounters of the Third Kind 
are the most interesting of all. Initially, my producing partners in the studio thought I was crazy because they, they said it has no meaning. What does it mean? Close encounters of the third kind. What does that mean? Close encounter of the third kind is really when you meet them. And so one of my biggest struggles, it turned out, was not getting the film financed because after Jaws, everybody was willing to offer me financing for my next picture. It was getting my title through the marketing department at Columbia Pictures. Have you recently had a close encounter? But I remember when I wrote the script, I kind of wrote it backwards. I started with the landing and then tried to back the rest of the story into how do they get there? And how can we have an operatic third act encounter between them and us? <laughs> Interesting, his uh, perspective on... So on, who uh, is his mentor? Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a man who created the phrase, three, uh, three different types of phrases. One is called the close encounters of the first kind, which uh, involves a, a sighting from a distance, a uh, quarter mile, half a mile. Close encounters of the second kind is uh, marks on the ground from a, 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 an alleged landing. Uh, close encounters of the third kind is obviously the film's the theme, which is uh, contact. And uh, the choice was uh, was difficult for him to, uh, to be accepted by Paramount uh, Films. Or was it Columbia Pictures? I'm oh, sure Columbia. Columbia, Columbia Pictures, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, you know, the money, I guess, that, that was starting to uh, come into the Spielberg I, Foundation I, was... It, it was, cost them $20 million to make, or $19 million, and it, it grossed $300 million. <laughs> That's not a bad investment. He's had a nice string ever since, I think. That's a nice percentage <laughs> return, huh? That'll well, raise the stock value on your. your he was company. just born to make movies with him. Yeah, he, he's just a <laughs> great, and especially the fact that he had a personal interest in the subject. So that's amazing to to, to have that uh, control with the uh, the amount of uh, income that he had available to him to to go forward with this uh, this film is amazing. Uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, of course, uh, resigned as as Spielberg said. And created a uh, a fund. Resigned from from the he from the United States Air Force's uh, projects and uh, created his own personal uh, uh, fund called the uh, the uh, oh excuse my uh, my thought it's uh, I'll look it up but what? the Center for UFO Studies in, uh, in Evanston Illinois it was oh. a an area that was collecting funds for research on this. Uh, this uh, strange subject, and uh, as a result of the the funding that came into the to, to Heineck's, uh, 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 <laughs> his coffin, yeah, his coffers, was, his coffers yes, the uh, the funding led to the application or the hiring of uh, Stanton T. Friedman, mm -hmm. and uh, a, a certain amount of money was issued to him. And as a result of uh, these documents that I always talk about, these majestic 12 uh, documents, they, they wound up uh, being looked at closely by uh, Stanton T. Friedman with a fund that uh, initiated, uh, initially came from Dr. J. Allen Hynek. So, 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 it's, so he, he started off in the military, and then he got put onto 
Project Blue Book. But he was hired as a civilian. Oh, okay. So he what? Wait a minute. So he was <laughs> he. So in other words, he, that one. <laughs> he well he in in a way he was outside the loop because yep. Majestic Twelve was already in operation already. So mm -hmm. uh, he he probably wasn't even aware that there was an MJ Twelve. Probably not. Right, because as a civilian, whoever leaked these documents to the the investigators back in the eighties uh, had to be high up, uh, and they, it could have been one of the members themselves, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, these papers were uh, allegedly uh, not to be kept in a, in a, in, a, in a desk, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, whoever took the the photo of these documents, they were done on microfilm, so they were transported into a small little uh, uh, canister enough to be put into a mailbox and then they had to develop that, Is that and that's what's that's what that was the the Beginning. event that was the predecessor to the blue book um um shenanigans well they <laughs> were no the, the u.s government was already uh, in, in involved in in uh keeping an eye on these these uh, craft that were being cited but up until the the crash at roswell uh, there was uh, nothing to look at. You know, they, all they had was uh, sightings. And uh, the consequences of that crash changed the way the government has been running things. And uh, I don't think that uh, J. Allen Hynek was uh, aware of MJ-12 at that time because these documents weren't released until the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, but they, he... What... what, what okay. But Blue Book, as famous as it is, and as was cool a, was as it was a public relations uh, fiasco. It was it was done to handle cases that were coming in. It was a diversion from the truth. It, it was yeah, stealing the, the agenda. Narrative, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Keep the agenda away from the truth, mm -hmm. and uh, by continuing with it that long, and for for even till today, it's now evolved into what I call the ASIP program which is now bringing attention again to, to the subject because the pilots reports that, that started to get noticed uh, in, the, in the news uh, got a lot of attention. And so now the, the, the subject became on the minds of everybody uh, that were concerned. Uh, what were we being lied to? Uh, are we alone in the universe? Uh, what's going on? And so, you know, I've been doing more and more thinking about, uh, you know, trying to educate the public and not just talk about it in, in, in lectures that I've done over the uh, last 10 or 15 years. I feel that uh, you, you, need a, you need to have like a, a course in a school to, to really break it all down. There's so many uh, Nowadays, aspects to the... There are plenty at the college level, actually, which is pretty interesting. We'll have to... Um... Yeah, the the young people are more actually open to to discussing this subject than some of the old people because they're they're dumbfounded that that, that, that this could be going on. And Most I've, of the classes are like adjunct classes or summer courses. They're not majority of them are not part of a college um, degree program or anything like that. But there are a few that are starting around. Yeah, well, they, like I, I like I say all the time when I when I speak to the audiences in general, the the older people are are aware of some of the things I'm talking about because they, they recognize that some of the names that I, I've mentioned that are connected with this uh, very uh, complicated subject. And uh, one of the things I just learned this week, actually, I just recalled uh, what it was, and I'll, I'll bring it to your attention uh, as I 
as I think of how it fits into this this uh, list of people that are in the Majestic 12. Hmm. There's a name that's on that list that uh, I didn't know was connected to the uh, the USS Missouri and the uh, signing of the treaty between the uh, surrender, uh, the Japanese, uh, uh, at World War II, which was the atomic bomb brought the the Japanese to their knees, and they they uh, they wouldn't give up until the second bomb was uh, dropped, and it led to the uh, the signing of the the Japanese on the, d- the flight deck of the USS Missouri, and the commander uh, of the operation was uh, the same person that's on the top of the Majestic Twelve document, and that's the General Roscoe. Hillenoker. He was the uh, the man who wrote the briefing document for Eisenhower that we speak of all the time. And um, it's in there. It's what it's in here. Mm-hmm. The uh, the name of, of Roscoe Hillenoker uh, is uh, he has such a, a background and his credentials and his. Uh, his resume is awesome, and uh, he's on the top of the uh, he's on the top of the list. So his security clearance is the is the ultimate of these of these these groups of this group. And and the interesting thing is that if the atomic bomb brought the end of World War II, and Hillenoka was part of the uh, the group uh, associated with the Manhattan Project. Isn't it interesting that the second name on the Majestic 12 group is Dr. Vannevar Bush, mm-hmm. the, 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 the director of the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. who, whose who's, uh, total uh, operation consisted of about 50,000 people. Two other Bushes since then, huh? Yes, I have which, seen some arguments for and against uh, his familial ties up the chain, but. It appears that there might be their first cousins. Yeah, there could be because there, like there's that. too much of a, uh, a, a they look implication like that the, one of them is a CIA director and the other one is uh, the head of the Manhattan Project. I mean, it's uh, coincidental. The the first four four or five people on the Majestic Twelve seem to be all associated with the Manhattan Project, which mm-hmm. I keep reading. Re- referring to all the time because the, the significance of that it cannot be uh, overlooked, you know, overlooked. <laughs> and, and the fact that this Admiral Roscoe Hillenoka was on the flight deck as they were uh, signing the uh, the surrender uh, documents for, for the end of World War II and it had something to do with the uh, the bombs that, that came out of Roswell, New Mexico at the Roswell Army uh, 509th uh, uh, Department in, in Roswell, New Mexico. I mean, it, it's very all connected when you when you know all the parts. And well, uh, you like you have said on previous episodes, the sightings went up when we dropped the bombs over mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. and 47 itself in Roswell. Where was that happening? And around our test, our nuclear testing sites. Yeah. So the connection is right in there. 
Also, and that's the point. And, and to and to point out, which I, I've done in previous episodes, I, I keep coming back to the the point of these objects were were not the first time that they were being noticed. Who else was on the deck of that ship when it was signed? Anything else land that we should know about? Um, <laughs> the land? Did any other uh, vessels land on that ship to, to view the uh, signing <laughs> of the treaty? No, that would be funny, huh? If uh, some craft we did. Know, no, no, we don't. But <laughs> I... Uh, I just, I just, I just sort of laugh at the fact that the once in a while I find out a little tidbit, and it seems to be connected to this whole uh, interest in these weapons that we have, mm-hmm. and the uh, the secrecy that's associated with this subject is tremendous. I mean, I, I can't, if it was if it was said to be two points higher than the Manhattan Project, I mean that's incredible. And to say that that it's that high in category. Uh, it just shows you that there's there's a real slick, very slick, anti uh, disinformation you know uh, propaganda program that's been going on for the last seventy years to keep the public uh, bewildered uh, about this uh, visit that's going on, uh, and because they're not landing in uh, front of people in the, in Central Park, hmm. uh, which could happen any any day, but. Uh, these uh, these questions that people always ask: Why aren't they coming down out of the sky? Why are they just flying around? I said, Well, <laughs> we they could, we we could be just being observed. I mean, uh, w- what we think is a uh, preparation for an invasion it could be just a, a couple of decades, you know, to maybe, take place. Maybe they just want to jam with us, have a jam session. Yeah, I think more that's uh, more likely they want to. Uh, eat us have have us for lunch i would play him some music after all i'm rock and rock we have a lot of protein here so we're going to let you listen to another section that we have uh with the steven spielberg interview and uh it goes it goes pretty well in a beautiful musical way because the idea of music was just something i thought well mathematics is a way of communicating with perhaps another species from off the planet but uh, but mathematics is also music you know, I thought, wouldn't it be great if the math basically is musical math and they start to communicate with each other through lights, colors, and musical tones? So all this was, you know, out of order in my brain, but it found order when I began to write the script from the last scene backwards. I just want to know that it's, it's really happening. I think in casting Close Encounters, what I was really looking for were actors who were still closer to their own memories of their own childhoods. Richard Dreyfus was a bigger kid than the children he was raising in his suburban house. Where you can see Pinocchio, which is a lot of furry animals and magic, and you'll have a wonderful time. Monsieur Neri, I envy you. Francois Truffaut, as he was in real life, was a child just of heart. He, he was just as honest as any man I had ever met in the sense that he was in touch with the things that make children eternally optimistic. And Truffaut was that kind of a person. I saw that when I saw his performance in Wild Child, and I saw that in every movie he ever directed. 
And so he was my first choice, even though I went to other actors thinking he'd say no. I didn't even call him. I went to a number of actors until I finally got the courage to phone up Francois and ask him if he'd play Monsieur Lacombe. He had a real aspect of, of himself that, that, that was like a child. Everybody in the movie, except some of the more rank and file military, you know, you know, personnel, I went more for the cynic, the kind of life-hardened adult. But most everybody else, we were kids, and we made this picture in the spirit of childhood and believing in things that don't make sense, that only children believe in, because it doesn't have to make sense for a child to deeply believe in something. Such a magical film. Yeah, you know, I want to say too, um, John Williams, he won two Grammys for, for that score. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, the score, I mean, talk about a score being intertwined with the script itself and the movie itself, you know, those little notes. Uh, I mean, yeah, and, and such a cool way to break the language barrier mm -hmm. with music, you know, and with those uh, tones. But, you know, as you can see, when the man speaks, he's it's it's all for reason. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's quite it's quite amazing. The the choice of. Uh, uh, actors that he did use for the for the script and, and uh, how they handled their uh, their uh, their script and uh, portraying the part that he wanted to convey. Uh, there's a couple of scenes that uh, are not in this interview, uh, which are in the film, and and because it's the uh, it's a favorite film of mine, uh, I've uh, often often recommended people to you know you don't have to get a cd on it anymore now you can just bring it up on, on uh, well I don't, on youtube or the you digital can, formats yeah you can bring it on digital format to to, to rewatch the film because it's it's not available also the uh, he did a, a director's cut mm -hmm. um um which um there's been three cuts to the film so far the original and then i think a second that in, that has um, version so, that includes some of the internal uncut um, uh yeah some pieces. of the extra cuts that weren't in the first version that include the On inside the of the ship okay but the director's cut has some more footage but eliminated the inside of the ship because he left it up to the imagination right 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 i i, <laughs> and, I, I and appreciate he with that the studio he fought with the studio on that so the second cut even though you want to see it just to see what it looks like i think right <laughs> you know the third cut should be the best right it's it it's his vision yeah after hearing him speak i think the third cut <laughs> would be the best i mean i mean the genius of spielberg on, on films that he's he's directed i mean uh he, he certainly deserves the uh the credits and kudos that he gets uh one of my favorite films uh, other than the close encounters film was uh schindler's list and uh jaws and uh you know uh, he did uh other films but uh you know the close encounters really because of my interest in this uh, subject uh is uh, so bizarre uh i uh, i just love finding out uh new information that i didn't realize and that uh, spielberg was quite interested in the subject and uh how his uh choice of picking uh Dr. J. Allen Hynek is uh, significant uh, information for me to know because when I do give another lecture, hopefully in the, in the near future, um, that I can bring these things up. Um, also, the, the, the connections that I've uh, also found out recently 
that members of this uh, classified project, Majestic 12, were members of the Manhattan Project. I find that very interesting and intriguing. And uh, I would love to hear your the public's feedback on, on this information. Uh, well, the more information. you kind of discuss these different characters and some of the inner workings, the more it seems like they were really connected and involved in so many things that were at the high level important things. You know, yeah. Like they were there to keep a lid on, lid on it. Yeah. Cause all the information that has, has been uncovered by, uh, by a curious investigators has involved the dates between the end of the war and 1952, 53. After that, all, all information seems to have dwindled as far as, um, uh, finding information in paper form that 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 shows that the government was was really interested in in uh, not only keeping this subject under close uh, you know security uh, clearances but uh, to also uh, to to manipulate the public to take it as nonsense and that uh, they wanted to bring the National Enquirer which was uh, allegedly started by a counterintelligence operator in the, in the CIA for uh, deliberately misinforming stories and putting them in there for people to read at the, at the, the supermarket and deliberately put in a position to be fed so that everybody would pick up a copy. It would be very common for a person to sit at the thing and while they're 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 watching their food being added up they're they're picking up newspapers or they're picking up the uh, the the wall street journal or, or the national enquirer and all kinds of stories or were just in reading this it while they're in line they're still reading the yeah, cover and stories yeah and they're just they putting it, it back mm-hmm. right and they'll read the cover story yeah. uh, ufos oh, aliens closet yeah, closet tabloid readers. Yeah, the closet tabloid. <laughs> oh, all I'm these... waiting in line. Um, no, I don't want to purchase this. Thank you. Yes, and, <laughs> and the stories will be fantastic stories that that are nonsensical. And then there's a few stories in there that are accurate. So they what they would do is they would public uh, publish stories that were opposite each other, and this would confuse the public when they read it because they would they wouldn't know what was real and what was not because the way they presented the story and who wrote the story and how it was presented as a, a as a real thing that the the uh, the president had uh, babies with uh, aliens you know or some kind of fantastic uh, manipulation of, of ridiculousness and this was done on purpose so that the public would take this subject as you know, Loch Ness monster and uh, Bigfoot uh, category, and mm-hmm. and this would keep people, uh, you know, not really digging because then they didn't want to be considered a, a, a lunatic. And, and the use of the word conspiracy was used to throw people off too, and uh, that was done during the uh, Roswell uh, recovery uh, time, and uh, it worked, and, and it. Uh, continued to work because they they started to put together government projects to handle these these cases the first one was project sign which was developed in 1947 december and it was followed a year later in Dece- in december 1948 with project grudge 
Uh, and then, uh, interesting, the name was changed to Project Blue Book, and that project was terminated in 1969. Now, uh, during the time that Project Blue Book was underway, the, the sightings were made to appear to dwindle. So by the time that they closed the project in 1969, the, the numbers that are listed in the Project Blue Book uh, listing at that year are almost down to one or two, which is kind of curious because... Uh, <laughs> what happened? What happened here? <laughs> uh, was that a, a deliberate reason to shut the operation down because they, they, they were getting less and less uh, curious uh, public questions uh, because as, as they were able to manipulate the sightings downward they were getting less and less the questions on them so it worked it worked to their advantage and by closing project blue book they reopened it recently and now i think it's being called uh, project asip uh, because the asip program is is saying almost similar statements on what they're what they're observing, that these these objects are uh, giving uh, high-performance uh, G-forces that, that could not be, uh, you know, incurred by any pilot. And and, and, and all this information is, is almost similar to the, the information that's involved in the Project Blue Book data. So um, my, my, uh, my analysis is that uh, they're just playing games with us. That's why... The, the report that we were supposed to get last year on on the the, the government's findings on these objects, uh, they came to a, a non a non disclosure kind of answer, uh, declassified. Who wants to see a declassified version? I want to see the classified version, <laughs> and I'm telling you that the classified version is the one that I'm holding in my hand right now, and that is called the the classified executive order signed by President Truman. In September 24, 1947, and it's a uh, the numbers of 092447 are the numbers associated with the classification of it. So it's it's rare that a, a classified uh, order would be issued and have a very uh, high staff uh, membership. The members in that and that uh, panel, like I say all the time, are the, are the cream of the crop, especially at that time in, uh, in our government. And we just think we just finished the war. And here, two years later, now we're dealing with uh, a menace that, that has no, uh, no known agenda. So naturally, it had to be considered a national security uh, problem, and uh, until these documents were released, uh, we had no idea that uh, this whole subject was really uh, real. <laughs> so uh, I've started to start this uh, podcast. I'm up to 31 now, and uh, I'm happy to say that it's it's growing and growing and growing. And uh, although there's other uh, websites and uh, podcasts that are doing mm-hmm similar things i'm trying to bring up real relevant uh, information so that the uh, the public is really uh, understanding how this subject has reached this uh, 
secrecy. Well, like he said, like if 10% of them were unexplained out of all of the claims, you know, they were really unexplained. <laughs> and um, you always teaching people, you know, how to uh, look into it. Right. And what, I mean, you say it's a difficult subject and that's really because how do you sift through what's, it's almost like the internet today and social media, so-called news on social media. How do you, how do you really know what's true and what's not true? Yeah. Could, because the truth can be flooded with the, the confusing information. So parts of it are real and parts of it aren't. And then you, you don't understand where, where's the truth in all of this, but like uh, like some authors have, have suggested in in, uh, in the past, um, one of them was uh, Coral Lorzen, uh, the founder of uh, Mufon. Oh no, Apro, Apro. I'm sorry, Apro. And her and her husband Jim Lorzen uh, wrote lots of uh, books on the subject, and I mm -hmm. have quite a few of them. She she said, uh, "You may not believe all the what you read on this subject." But just think of what it means if just one of them is true. You know, it, it, that, that's a real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, ten, if it's 10% or even 5%, I mean, that's pretty, that's astounding. Um, you said, uh, you know, you mentioned the 75 years since mm -hmm. Roswell. So mm -hmm. coming up, I didn't have the soundbite handy. I'm hoping this is the right one, but I just wanted to. Have a little celebratory. Oh, this is, the, is this the what? The, the so this is July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. <laughs> Late this afternoon, a bulletin from New Mexico suggested that the widely publicized mystery of the flying saucers may soon be solved. Army Air Force officers reported uh, that one of the strangers... Sure they did. Then they start explaining it away. Yeah, the weather <laughs> balloon fit right into their uh, scenario. Yes, and there were many newspaper articles, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's there's an interesting thing that I also found out within the last few weeks. Um, dur during a, a flyover of these objects uh, uh, over the capital, Washington, D.C., hmm. these objects were, were observed for a number of uh, nights. It wasn't just one particular flyover. And uh, jets were sent up, and uh, every time these jets came into the location, these things would fly away, and then these things would return. So this became a big uh, cat and mouse, big cat and mouse <laughs> thing going on. And sort so, of. as a result of it, there was a press conference that was held, mm -hmm. and this was the allegedly uh, the largest press conference held since World War Two, hmm. and it was. Uh, it was headed by this uh, General John uh, Stanford, and uh, next to him was a, a picture uh, that they showed of General Ramey. And General Ramey, no one knows who he is, right? But I do. And, I remember you saying that. Yeah, and General Ramey, at this particular press conference in 1952, was to feed information that General Ramey handed to uh, uh, General Stanford to, to read at the press conference. And, and there's been copies made of this uh, speech that he gave, and I, I collected uh, the, that speech, and I've read it a few times. But 
I, I recently reread it and I was looking for things that I may have overlooked in it because when I realized that General Ramey had probably wrote that for him, uh, I I read the the uh, the press release and I noticed that every time the word needed to be printed UFO, he used the word things. <laughs> and every time I, I noticed the word things in the press release, I underlined it. And then I went back and I noticed that word was used 17 times in the press release and only once was the word discs used. Mm. So uh, it led me to think, why is he he's using the word things instead instead of emphasizing that these craft have been you know witnessed and uh, these are atmospheric uh, phenomena? You know why did he keep using the word things? And so well, it just it just struck me he, as a way he, to there was always some things around. Yeah, it was a nice some things. Yeah, th that's a nice way to downplay something of significance. Mm -hmm. by, by masquerading it, it with that, that word. It's the same. It, it's a trick. It's actually, and, and the fact that Ramey, General Ramey was there, and let me get back to who General Ramey was. General Ramey was the one who's, who took the, the famous photograph with Major Jesse Marcel of the alleged weather balloon that was uh, picked up by uh, Marcel. And... Uh, this this photograph uh, was sent around the world as the the thing that uh, Jesse Marcel uh, was you know picking up. Yeah, he, how, the, how often is the general taking pictures of you? Yeah, happens all the time. Well, <laughs> or with you, you well, know, yeah. uh, like to hold oh, hold uh -huh. the this the stuff with you and, and be in the photo with oh, you okay. that you that's giving you more authenticity that it's a weather balloon. Mm -hmm. that, you know, instead of having uh -huh. this, a, a, a lower superior have the general right there. That's, I mean, it's just uh, it's just comical after a while when you start to realize how deep the 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 need for for secrecy back in the, the early days of this subject, so that it wouldn't get out of hand. And uh, I hope that that the listeners realize that uh, that information that that is a, is allowable for you to, to retrieve because it's most of it's on these internet ch uh, channels. And uh, one of the good uh, websites is called the, the black vault and that black mm. black vault uh, com covers the paranormal uh, topics, you know, and stuff, but it, it does go deep into the uh, majestic documents. And it, uh, it, it's a, it's a good place to start with uh, this, this subject. So I, I, uh, I, I say goodbye to you to this week, and we'll talk next week, and we got more to talk about because Steven Spielberg's show, his, his movie is is going to be released, I think, again this spring uh, in in concert with the uh, probably remastered or something. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> it's just a a, a, a new uh, what do you call a, a what do you call a release uh, to uh, you know. Uh, to show emphasis on the uh, 75th anniversary of the Roswell crash. So here's an ode to 75 years of cover up. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. All right. UFOs. Top secret. You can.
can send Bob any questions you have, please bring them on at UFOs Top Secret at ProtonMail.com. We'll be back soon, guys. With greetings and blow your minds. You have discovered the podcast Why Are UFOs Top Secret? 